It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hello and welcome to the Sports News for Monday, June 26th, 2023. Today, your reader is Bill Sally. As a reminder, Radio Eye is a reading service intended for those who are blind or those who have other disabilities that make it difficult to read printed material. The first article today we'll read is entitled, Who Can Play for Kentucky Basketball? on the Global Jam trip. This article is written by Ben Roberts of the Lexington Herald-Leader. Following several weeks of frustration surrounding this Kentucky men's basketball offseason, there's been at least some positive momentum for the Wildcats more recently. The Cats have actually added players to their previously thin 2023-24 group, with another new arrival or two likely to come in the near future. Two weeks ago, John Calipari barely had enough scholarship players to put a starting five on the court. Now, UK has something more closely resembling a full roster. There are still plenty of questions around Kentucky's personnel for the 2023-24 season. However, including one pressing one, who exactly will be able to play for the Wildcats during the team's trip to Canada for the Global Jam, which is now only two weeks away. The overall makeup and current status of the UK roster has led to speculation over who can actually participate in these international exhibition games next month, when Kentucky will represent the United States in a four-team tournament that also includes squads from Africa, Canada, and Germany. UK won't be at full strength for that event, but Calipari should have nearly all of next season's players at his disposal. One question many fans have asked is whether sophomore center Yugana Onyenso, who was born in Nigeria and arrived in the United States just last year, will be able to participate in the Global Jam, since UK will technically be representing the USA in an international event. The Herald-Leader confirmed over the weekend that Onyenso will indeed be allowed to play for the Wildcats. That's good news for Calipari, who currently has no other options at the center position. Freshman seven-footer Aaron Bradshaw, one of the top recruits in the 2023 class and a possible NBA lottery pick next year, will not play in the Global Jam next month. Bradshaw is recovering from a foot injury suffered at the McDonald's All-American game in late March. And while the reported timeline for his return has varied greatly, anywhere from a few weeks to six months, the Herald-Leader confirmed that he will not play in the Toronto games. There's also been speculation over the status of returning UK guard Antonio Reeves and possible West Virginia transfer Trey Mitchell due to their age. The Global Jam is billed as a, quote, under-23 basketball tournament. And while Reeves and Mitchell are both currently 22 years old, they'll both turn 23 before the end of this calendar year. Both will be allowed to participate in the Global Jam, the Herald-Leader has confirmed. Reeves joined the team last week, 
and the expectation is that Mitchell will announce a commitment to Kentucky sometime in the next few days and immediately move to Lexington. The final question mark, and likely the final addition to UK's 2023-24 roster, is Somto Cyril, a seven-footer in the overtime elite system. Cyril took a recruiting visit to Kentucky earlier this month, and while a commitment was at one point expected to be imminent, he is currently concentrating on coursework that would allow him to reclassify from 2024 to 2023 and play college basketball this coming season. That academic work is not expected to be completed for several more weeks, and that means Cyril will not be eligible to play in the Global Jam, which tips off July 12th. If everything goes according to plan, he would arrive on UK's campus in plenty of time to participate in the program's regular preseason workouts and practices. So, that means Kentucky is likely to have 10 available scholarship players for the Global Jam. Five of those players will be guards, Reeves, and the freshman quartet of DJ Wagner, Rob Dillingham, Reed Shepard, and Joey Hart. Three will be wings, sophomore Adieu Thierro, and freshman Justin Edwards and Jordan Burks. And two will be front court players, Onyenso and Mitchell. In addition, the Cats will have their walk-on group, led by fifth-year senior Brennan Canada, who has appeared sparingly in actual games, but has established himself as an important practice player over the course of his UK career. Next, plan for Canada. The players already on UK's campus began individual workouts two weeks ago and started participating in organized team workouts early last week. College teams are allotted four hours per week in the summer for collective on-court activities, and programs taking part in a foreign trip, like the Global Jam, are granted an additional 10 official practices, which UK is expected to exhaust before playing its first game in the Canada event. The Wildcats are also scheduled to arrive in Toronto on July 9th, with two days of activities planned in the city before the opening game against Germany at 1.30 p.m. on July 12th. UK will face the Canadian squad at 8 p.m. on July 13th, with a final pool game against Africa at 1.30 p.m. on July 15th, and a medal game June 16th. The bronze medal game will tip at 1.30 p.m. that day, with the gold medal game scheduled for 8 p.m. The Canadian outlet, Sportsnet, holds TV and streaming rights to the Global Jam. But an official involved with the event told the Herald-Leader last week that organizers are still working to secure TV and streaming rights for viewers inside the United States, and an announcement on how American fans can watch the games is expected to come soon. The Baylor men's basketball team played in last year's inaugural event, and those games were made available on the ESPN Plus streaming service for fans in the United States. The next article is entitled, NASCAR Chicago Street Race Set to Take Place in Grant Park. This article is written by Sarah Freestat, Amanda Kaskubi, and Corey Ramur of the Chicago Tribune. Welcome to the new rush hour in Chicago. The city will transform the Grant Park environs into the first NASCAR Chicago Street Race on July 2nd 
with separate events on July 1st as well. The televised Cup Series event will have NASCAR drivers weaving through the park on closed-off streets lined with temporary fences, grandstands, and what promoters hope will be thousands of fans. Here's everything you need to know about the race, including the course map, road closures, and how to watch or avoid it all. First, has Chicago hosted a NASCAR race before? Yes, Soldier Field hosted a NASCAR Cup Series race in July 1956. A quarter century later, an ambitious plan by then-Mayor Jane Byrne to hold a Formula One race on Lakeshore Drive in summer of 1981 never made it to the starting line. This time, the course will stay north of Soldier Field and south of the infamous S-curve on DuSable Lakeshore Drive. Next, why is the city hosting this race now? The event is expected to draw 100,000 attendees, and NASCAR estimates it could generate more than $3 million in tax revenue for the city. This is actually going to be our first race on a street course in our 75-year history, said Ben Kennedy, NASCAR Senior Vice President of Racing Development and Strategy. It's going to be a very unique course. NASCAR is building the track and will pay rental fees to the Chicago Park District for the use of Grant Park, but terms of the three-year agreement with the city were not disclosed. It's going to be one of the most iconic race courses maybe ever and introduce a whole new fan base to what NASCAR is about in the city of Chicago. Then Mayor Lori Lightfoot said on July 19, 2022, the opportunity to really ignite our tourism with a new iconic event on the calendar was a no-miss opportunity. But not everyone is happy with the disruption. Quote, the races that are coming up the next few weeks in Chicago certainly have a lot of our constituents excited, said First Ward Ald, Daniel Laspada, the chair of the City Council's Pedestrian and Traffic Safety Committee. They also have a lot of our constituents confused, frustrated, and angry. Another concern for constituents and businesses is the noise level, which can be, quote, 96.5 to 104 decibels at 150 feet from the track, according to nascarchronicle.com. According to the NASCAR Chicago Street Race website, special mufflers will be used on the cars that, quote, successfully lowered sound levels by as much as 10 decibels earlier this year at the Bush Light Clash at the Coliseum. Next, what other events are happening around the race? In addition to 40 race cars driving 200 miles an hour, the two-day event will feature full-length concerts ranging from country to electronic dance, headlined by Miranda Lambert, the Chainsmokers, and the Black Crows. There will also be an Xfinity Series race, the second tier of NASCAR competition, on July 1st. Next, what's the route? The 12-turn, 2.2-mile course is the first street course in NASCAR history. Drivers will make 100 laps for 220 total miles. We want to put drivers through some of the toughest challenges we can, and this track will do that, Hall of Fame driver turned NASCAR analyst Dale Earnhardt Jr. said after a test drive of the course. There will be some guys that really like it. There will be some guys that find it really challenging and miserable. The pop-up course will start on Columbus Drive in front of Buckingham Fountain. 
taking in stretches of DuSable Lakeshore Drive and South Michigan Avenue in a lap filled with sharp turns, bottlenecks, and an urban backdrop. Earnhardt said drivers should top 140 miles per hour on straightaways, such as DuSable Lakeshore Drive. Some turns will force the cars to slow to about 40 miles per hour, he said, while others will accommodate much higher speeds. The fastest turn will likely be number two from Balbo Drive onto DuSable Lakeshore Drive, with drivers hitting 90 to 100 miles per hour, he said. One of the most challenging spots will be turn seven from Balbo onto South Michigan Avenue. Much like regular rush hour traffic, Earnhardt expects something of a traffic jam. Next, who are the drivers to watch? It's no surprise Bubba Wallace, the second black driver to win in the Cup Series, is soon to become a Chicago favorite. He drives the number 23 Toyota Camry for Michael Jordan-owned 23X1 Racing. He's also hosting a pre-race party Wednesday at the Disabled Black History Museum, an education center, at which Loop Fiasco will perform. For those thinking local, the Chicago White Sox are sponsoring Ty Dillon's number 77 Chevrolet, complete with team branding, colors and logos on the car, and fire suit. Beggar's Pizza will be on the rear quarter panel and TV panel of the car. Seven-time champion Jimmy Johnson came out of retirement to compete in the Chicago street race driving a number 84 Chevrolet Camaro, a reverse of the number 48 he formerly used. Jensen Button, a British Formula One driver, is making his stock car debut this season. He will drive the number 15 Ford Mustang. The next article is entitled, Braves End Reds Winning Streak by Belting Four Home Runs. This comes from Field Level Media. Travis Darneau homered and had four hits, and the visiting Atlanta Braves belted four home runs Saturday in a heart-stopping 7-6 win that snapped the 12-game winning streak of the Cincinnati Reds. The Braves bounced back from the end of their eight-game win streak Friday when they had five homers in an 11-10 loss, giving them nine in the first two games between the leaders of the National League East and National League Central divisions. Reliever Michael Tonkin, four wins, two losses, struck out two over two and one-third hitless, scoreless innings to record the win. Former Cincinnati Red, Rysel Iglesias, faced his old team for the first time, allowing a one-out solo homers to Jake Fraley, who homered in his third straight game, and Will Benson. But Iglesias fan Mike, Matt McLean and Jonathan India to earn his 11th save in 13 chances. Matt Olson added his team-leading 24th homer, his third in two games, while Ozzy Albies and Marcelo Zuna also went deep for Atlanta. Matt McLean and Spencer Steer also had a pair of two-run home runs for Cincinnati, which fell one win shy of setting a new franchise modern era record. The 12-game streak stands tied with the 1957 and 1939 clubs as the longest in modern Reds history. The Reds had a, have a major league best 27 comeback wins, but couldn't pull off their 28th on Saturday as they lost for the first time since June 9th in St. Louis. Atlanta jumped out to leads of 3-0 and 6-2 and held on for their ninth win in 10 games. The Reds and their fans suffered a scare when Phenom Ellie De La Cruz went down in a heap in the seventh inning after fouling a ball off his right knee. He stayed in the game and lined out softly to end the inning. 
Graham Ashcraft, three wins, six losses, returned from a stint on the injured list with a bruised left calf and was hit hard by Atlanta. In four innings, Ashcraft surrendered six runs on ten hits, including a career-high three home runs. With four long balls Saturday, the Braves added to their major league-leading home run total, which now stands at 138. Atlanta rookie starter Jared Schuster could not take advantage of the offensive support, lasting only three and two-thirds innings, allowing seven hits and four runs and the homers to McLean and Steer. Game stats. Subscribers can find up-to-date standings and statistics from the previous day's games in our e-edition by using the section list to jump to extra stats in our app or online at kentucky.com slash e-edition. The Braves also won yesterday's ball game against Cincinnati by a similar score of 7-6. The Braves' Matt Olson homered in that game as well, putting him in a tie with the major league lead with 25 home runs on the season. The next article is entitled, Reds Vado Compares De La Cruz to Mickey Mantle. This article is written by Gordon Wittenmeyer of the Cincinnati Enquirer. On the night, Ellie De La Cruz did things nobody in a Cincinnati Red uniform had ever done, certainly at his age and experience level. He talked about the, quote, honor it was to play alongside the legend that is former MVP Joey Votto. I admire him, and he admires me back, he said in Spanish through the team's interpreter. We have these conversations over and over again. At which point a voice boomed from behind the cameras during Friday's media interview. Hey, hey, I didn't say I admired you back, Votto called out, but I do. When De La Cruz wrapped up, in a minute or two later, he finished in English with a smirk, I'm mad at you, Joey. That's when Votto stepped toward the microphone for his turn stopping only for an embrace with the kid who was born the year Votto was drafted. I told you I love you. I don't admire you, Votto said. And then Votto spent much of the next five minutes trying to define the De La Cruz force of nature that has left longtime baseball people and fans slack-jawed since his June 6th debut, a combination of abilities Votto calls, quote, not of this world. As illogical as it is for a Reds team with some of the worst starting pitching in the majors and some of the shakiest fielding to have tied the modern franchise record for consecutive victories, try explaining Votto and De La Cruz, in particular the latter. Votto, who hit two huge home runs Friday in the Reds' latest and perhaps most improbable of their MLB-leading 27 comeback wins, this one over Atlanta, already has three home runs in four games since returning, at 39 from nearly a year sidelined because of shoulder and bicep surgery. Think that's something? Check out the kid who hit for the cycle on the same night, the first cycle for the Reds since one of his mentors, Eric Davis, did it 34 years ago. The kid who nearly stole home on a pickoff throw to first after a, a, that triple. The kid whose double earlier in the game was clocked as the hardest ball off a Reds bat this season. Dodgers manager Dave Roberts called him, quote, scary and a, quote, unicorn and compared his speed to Deion Sanders after seeing him his first two days in the big leagues. It's incredible, said Brave star Ronald Acuna Jr., who, like De La Cruz, was a top-ranked prospect in baseball when he debuted. 
It's incredible to see what he's been doing. On Friday, De La Cruz's home run was his third, the triple his second, the double his fifth, the stolen base earlier in the game his seventh. This game is 15th in the big leagues. He's 22 for 61, a 361 batting average, with a 656 slugging percentage and a 1.074 OPS. Consider that Acuna, the National League's top all-star vote recipient, had three hits, including a homer on this night, twice occupying first base with a chance to chat up Votto. I told Acuna that he's my favorite major league player, Votto said, and I tell you what, with each game, Ellie is giving him a run for that. I've never seen anything remotely close to this. De La Cruz has drawn comparisons to power speed players like Acuna or Davis or young pirate shortstop O'Neal Cruz. There is no comp, teammate Jonathan India said. Ellie De La Cruz will be the best baseball player in Major League Baseball in the future. He could even be right now. In addition to the hitting power and the top sprint speed in the majors, De La Cruz also has an arm that has produced throws to first base in the upper 90s, and he's a switch hitter. This is extreme, but has there been a better switch hitting speed power guy? Votto mused. The only comp I can think of is Mickey Mantle, a young Mickey Mantle. And that's unfair to put on Ellie because maybe one of the greatest players of all time, he said. But he hit a ball off the wall Friday as hard as I've seen anybody hit a ball. And then he's trying to score on a pick, and he almost did. You had to get a perfect throw from a gold glove caliber first baseman, Matt Olson. So there's no comparison, Votto said. I've got nobody to compare him to. There's no precedent I've seen in my experience. For his part, De La Cruz is by all accounts humble and a natural fit in a young, high-energy group. Quote, a great teammate, India said. And he's a winner, India added. You get that mixture of talent and competitiveness, it's a scary night for the league. Said Votto, like every player, he's going to go through stretches where he's going to have to adjust and refine his game. But just the core of it, just the base of what he has, it's out of this world. The next article is entitled, A Transfer-Heavy Approach. With six portal additions, cards look to make another postseason run. This article is written by Alexis Cubitt of the Louisville Courier-Journal. In her lone season with Louisville, Syracuse transfer Chrislyn Carr was the team's second-leading scorer and had one of the nation's best three-point shooting percentages. Her first and only NCAA tournament ended when the Cardinals, in the Elite Eight for the first time in as many tournaments, lost to Iowa. The year before, it was Emily Engster, a fellow Syracuse transfer, who helped power the Cardinals to a Final Four run. Transfer players like Carr and Engstler have historically done well at Louisville, but have also been surrounded by returners. This season, six of the Cardinals' ten active scholarship players will be transfer portal additions. It's not abnormal for teams to rely heavily on transfer players, while some programs have longtime players that enable their success. Transfers helped fuel two of last year's Final Four teams. Angel Reese was in her first year with LSU after transferring from Maryland and helped the Tigers win their first national championship. Four of Virginia Tech's five listed transfer players averaged at least 15 minutes per game, 
as the Hokies made their first ever Final Four appearance. At the same time, in Caitlin Clark's third year with Iowa, she powered the team's run to its first national championship appearance, while four of South Carolina's starters had been with the program since their freshman years. Louisville head coach Jeff Walls will take the transfer-heavy road this season as the Cardinals look to make a fifth Final Four run when the 2023-24 season begins. Walls called the group the most mature with the best chemistry he's had in a while. While he believes the Cardinals have the potential to have multiple double-digit scoring threats, they'll still need time to develop, much like last year's team, which lost the most ACC games since joining the league, but still made the conference tournament championship game and the Elite Eight. The Cardinals will be able to get a head start on that process this summer when they go to Canada to participate in the 2023 Global Jam Tournament. You can play pickup as much as you want, but until you get into some structure and they get to play against each other, then you get to start implementing what we're going to try to do offensively and defensively, Wall said. It's going to be a huge advantage for us to get us going a little bit early. The Cardinals are ranked number one in on-threes transfer portal rankings, despite losing star guard Haley Van Lith to LSU. UofL will have only one freshman in Enosa Emma Findon, who committed June 14th, but the center will redshirt this season. We're always going to continue to recruit freshmen to try and make sure we have a good balance, but this year is just the first year, I think, ever that we've not had any true freshmen come in at the early signing class, Wall said. So we had to go to work and figure out exactly what needs do we have to have. The Cardinals filled out their roster in April. Former California guard Jada Curry was the Cardinals' first postseason commit on April 3rd, followed by California State University Bakersfield forward Henny Van Schalk, April 11th, Florida guard Nina Rickards, April 20th, James Madison guard Kiki Jefferson, April 20th, and Massachusetts guard Sidney Taylor, April 21st. Guard Aliyah Love was already on the team during the spring after transferring from Georgia Tech in January. The Cardinals will look to the transfer players to fill those three open starting positions. Curry, for one, is projected to be the team's starting point guard. Taylor and Jefferson, the Sunbelt Conference Player of the Year, are also options because of their efficient shooting abilities. With only 10 active players heading into the 2023-24 season, Louisville can't afford to have injuries, so Walls is making sure to have a plan in place to ensure the team is in the best shape possible by November. The great thing about this is the players want to play, and they're all going to have the opportunity to compete, he said. I think we've got a really good squad here, and I look forward to seeing what we can do. The next article is entitled, Top 10 Players Available on NBA's Free Agent Market. This is written by Stefan Bondi of the New York Daily News. Below is a ranked list of the top 10 free agents. The negotiations period begins at 6 p.m. Friday, although we know tampering is commonplace beforehand, and deals can become official July 6th. Number 1, James Harden, 33, incumbent team, the Sixers. Number two, Fred Van Fleet, 29. His incumbent team are the Raptors. Number three, Chris Middleton, 31. His incumbent team, the Bucks. 
Number four, Draymond Green, 33, his incumbent team, the Warriors. Number five, Kyrie Irving, 31, his incumbent team, the Mavericks. Number six, Jeremy Grant, 29, his incumbent team, the Blazers. Number seven, Nikolai Vyshevich, 32, his incumbent team, the Bulls. Number eight, Kyle Kuzma, 27, his incumbent team, the Wizards. Number nine, Jordan Clarkson, 31, his incumbent team, the Jazz. And number 10, Bruce Brown, 26, his incumbent team, the Nuggets. This is all the time we have today for sports news from mostly the Lexington Herald-Leader and the Louisville Courier-Journal, along with some other newspapers. Your reader today has been Bill Sally. Thank you for listening. And now we ask you to please stay tuned for continued programming right here on Radio I. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.